Amen. Amen. Well, I, I, uh, I also, I, I have to echo Sarah's, Sarah's comments about the generosity of our church. I was so pleased to um, be able to run those gift cards up to Grove City that Wednesday night uh, that you guys provided them. And we gave extra the Sunday, that next Sunday on the 27th. And I was just so overwhelmed of the generosity of our church. It was wonderful that, that we were able to not only support them in prayer, but to help them in a, a real, real means type of way. And, and I have to also say, last week, if you were here, you saw Kelly Edler came up right at the beginning of the service and gave our family, the Simons family, uh, a card of thanks as well, just because we've been going through a lot with Sherry's dad. And uh, when I went to the hospital that afternoon and we opened it up and just read the card and just saw the generosity, we were overwhelmed. So once again, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We're just so grateful for a church family that supports, even when the pastors are, are dealing with some difficult things, this church family supports their pastors and we're, we're very appreciative of that. So thank you. I hope last weekend you were able to experience some fireworks. I have to admit, I missed Red, White, and Boom. Uh, we always like to watch that on TV. I never go down and see it in person, but we missed that. However, Evan and I, after I got back from the hospital, we were able to sit in our front yard and we saw some of our Lancaster fireworks, which were great. So it was wonderful. Elsie, I see you standing up. Do you have a testimony or a word of thanks or anything, or are you just stretching? Amen. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Elsie. And I, I know, like, even when I go through the church membership class, I try to convey to potential new members that you're not just joining a church, you're joining a family. And I think hearing the words of Sarah, Sherry and I, and Elsie this morning, you see that. When family goes through difficult time, we rally around each other and we support each other. And Elsie, I, I don't think... Any of us are immune to depression and anxiety. I know I've dealt with that. I know many have dealt with that. 
But God is always there. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. And it's wonderful that he provides Christian brothers and sisters in the church to send cards, to call, to pray, and to support. And it, to me, it's an answer to prayer to see you back there in your seat. We're so glad you're here, and thank you for sharing that. Beautiful, beautiful. Anyone else have a testimony or, or want to say something? This is God's service, not ours. Jenna, please. My cousin Gail. Yes. Wow, praise the Lord. How great is our God? That's another example of how God is healing and, and he is our Jehovah Rophe, God, our healer. Um, so thank you for sharing that, Jenna. That's awesome. Anyone else before, before I get into the scripture? All right. Going once, twice, three times. Okay. Well, I, like I said, I, I enjoy the 4th of July. It's probably one of my favorite holidays. And I, even though I enjoy the fireworks and the cookouts, I realize that it's a lot more than that. We know that the 4th of July is all about freedom. It's freedom. And men and women gave their life so that we could have the freedom that we enjoy today. And I'm thankful for that. But what's interesting is when you start to talk to people about what does freedom mean to you? You get some strange answers sometimes. People will say, and I've asked this almost like a man on the street type of question just because I like to do this for sermon prep, but I've asked people in the past, what does freedom mean to you? And a lot of times the comments that I get, well, I live in this country, I'm really thankful, but I'm free to do whatever I want. I can live my life the way I want. I can say what I want. I can choose to do what I want. And, and I'm so thankful for that freedom that I live in a country that allows me to do that. And, and I agree, we are fortunate. But if freedom is all about me, 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 what I wanna do, what I'm gonna say, what I'm, no one can tell me what to do, I'm gonna do it. I think our founding fathers probably would be rolling in their grave. Because with freedom comes responsibility. That's what many people forget. That along with freedom, we have a responsibility to one another and really to God. Because that is something that we were founded on. We were a Christian nation. And I, I like this quote. Freedom without responsibility is anarchy. If you're just doing whatever you want, whatever you feel like, whatever your desires are, that certainly goes into chaos very, very quickly. And so we need to get back to God. I, I love the Pledge of Allegiance, um, and I love the phrase, one nation under God. And I think that many times we forget about that because in order to have liberty and justice for all, we need to be one nation under God. Because if you're just doing whatever you want in terms of freedom without having a responsibility to answer to a higher power, to answer to God, to be good citizens, then we struggle. And we need to get back to that one nation under God. Uh, whenever Americans are asked, what religion do you affiliate with the most? The overwhelming majority of Americans will say, and th this is Barna's research, 73% of Americans identify as Christian. And I love that because we are one nation under God. We were founded as a Christian nation. And that at least there's, some, there's still some resemblance of that, at least in the surveys that are taken. 
But then I look at that stat and I compare it to what's going on, and you can just pick up a newspaper and see this. We see rising rates of murder. Look no further than Columbus. I mean, it seems like this year has been an all-time high for homicide in Columbus. Increased violence in school, child abuse on the rise, racial tensions are high, domestic violence soars. So what's the disconnect? If 73% of Americans say they're Christian, but we're seeing all these things happen, there is a disconnect. Something is wrong. And I think that it gets back to what I said last week. And what James Madison, and Larry reminded me of this. I gave that James Madison quote last week. I forgot that our church is on Madison Avenue, which was named after James Madison. But he talked about how we as a nation needs to get back to the Ten Commandments. And I concur with that completely. But our nation not only needs to return to the Ten Commandments, what we really need to do is return to the God of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments point us to God. It's all about him. And if we want to see our nation really be that one nation under God, if we want to see our citizens balance freedom and responsibility and really be productive, we need to get back to the God of the Ten Commandments. And I've kind of subtitled this the sermon series, Love God, Love People. And I know that's short and sweet, I could try to list all 10, but it really boils down to love God, love people. In fact, when Jesus was asked, and you saw it on the video, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love God, love people. And if we can do that, we will see a change in the life of our church, in the lives of our family, and in the lives of our community as well. I, I, I know many Christians, and I've heard this, and I've mentioned it before, you know, people will say, well, the Ten Commandments are outdated. They're archaic. That's the covenant of the law. We're under covenant of grace. But you'll see as we study these Ten Commandments in the week to come that the grace that we're under, and we are under the covenant of grace, it doesn't lower the standard. It actually raises the standard of the Ten Commandments. In fact, we heard about it at camp meeting last night. Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, do not have anger in your heart again. That, that's, far, that's a raising of the standard. And what I think Jesus is telling us is we cannot live by the law unless we have grace from God. Unless we have him in our life to help us, that's the only way we can do what God is telling us to do. Love God and love people. Let's, if you have your Bibles, Exodus 20, verses four through six, the, they will be on the screen so we can read them right there. But uh, we're gonna read the second commandment that we're on. So Exodus 20, verses four through six. This is what God, Yahweh says. He says, you should not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. In heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations for those who hate me. And I love this verse. But showing love to a thousand, a thousand generations of those who love me 
and keep my commandments. Dear Heavenly Father, we have no way in the world to live these 10 commandments in our life. We can't do it on our own. We need you. The law reveals to us that we need a savior. We need your amazing grace. We need your mercy and we need your power so that we can love God and love people. Help us today to see that it's all about you and loving God first. You should have first priority in our life, not second, not third, numero uno. You are the most important thing in our life and we will not have any kind of idols or images ahead of you. We ask this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. So the commandment's very easy. Let's say it together just so that we get it. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Let's do it one more time. You should not make for yourself an idol. And when we looked at the verses that we just looked at, God gets really specific about what that idol is. Let me just say it. He says, you should not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. Say the word anything. Anything, anything. We could stop right there and that is a sermon. Make for yourself an image in the form of anything. Don't do it in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now I have to admit, when I've read this in the past, that jealous God thing kind of rubs me the wrong way because I think of jealousy in terms of human terms, where maybe I'm jealous of Jeremy because he can play the bass guitar, or maybe I'm jealous of Corey because he plays the guitar so well, or Tammy or Pam because they play the piano. I'm jealous of those folks. That's my human jealousy. That's not what the scripture is talking about. God is jealous for you. God is not jealous of anything. He can't because he's God. How great is our God? But God is jealous for us, for our love, for our time, for our affection, for our devotion. And ultimately, he wants all of your heart, just like Jesus said. So why is God jealous for you? Because he loves you unconditionally. His love is infinite for you. So God's jealousy isn't this this distorted jealousy and envy that we see in human beings, it's a zeal and a passion for you, for me. That's why he's jealous. And so when we start to put things in our life ahead of him, create pain, heartache, and emptiness in our life because nothing compares to God. We sing about it today. Nothing compares to him. How great thou art. Nothing in this world even comes close to what God is in our life. And so we should put nothing above him. Love God first. And then he says some things about we should not bow down and worship these idols or images. He says that if we do, there's this punishment, there's this consequence. And we see it, the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations to those who hate me. That's another tough scripture, I think, because you think, well, why would God hold that against the kids, the, the third and fourth generation? I think it shows you how serious God takes our worship, our devotion. 
our commitment to him. And I know that's hard to see, but if you look at what's happening even in our nation today, I think some of what we're seeing today could be fulfilled right in that scripture. But don't stop reading there, because verse six is powerful. He says, if, if you're, you hate me, then that's, that's the consequence. But showing love, he's gonna show love, not to three or four generations, but a thousand generations to those who love me and keep, or another word for that is obey my commandments. Love me and obey my commandments and I will show my love to a thousand generations. That's the kind of Christian heritage I wanna put in my family. That's the kind of Christian heritage I want at Chillicothe First Church for a thousand generations because God is first in our life. Now, last week I said it, and maybe you'll answer. We'll, we'll do it like a little test from last week. And some of you weren't here, so you, you're out. You don't have to participate. But how does God spell love? It's a four-letter word, and it's not L-O-V-E. Does anyone remember how God spells love? Obey. Obey. Jeremy was listening. He gets a gold star. That's great. O-B-E-Y. And if you look at John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commandments obedience is the test of love. Just like freedom requires responsibility, love requires obedience in God's eyes. And we need to make sure that when we are living our life, that we not only say we love God, but we show that we love God through our obedient lifestyle, being totally yielded and surrendered to him. And you might be saying, well, Pastor Ed, this is great preaching. I, I, I like this. This is good. And, you know, maybe somebody needs to hear this, but I, I have to be honest with you. I'm not an idol maker. I don't have any idols in my house. I don't have, you know, an idol of Baal or Ra, the Egyptian sun god that we talked about last week. So, you know what? Somebody needs to hear this, but I'm going to check out because I, I'm not an idol maker. I don't worship idols. I'm good. And you might be saying, I got, I got a week off with this Ten Commandment. But let's dig a little deeper into what God's talking about with idols. Let's look at what idolatry really is. Number one, idolatry is making an image of something created or imagined and worshiping that image. And sometimes we think of it as a statue of an of a, of a idol or something, but it can be an image. It can be an idea. It can be something that you worship, that you're devoted to. Someone or something that you worship and adore and are completely worshiping more than you're worshiping God. It's believing or investing, I like that word investing, my life into something other than God. Maybe you invest in a really, really nice motorcycle. And that, motorcycles aren't bad. I love motorcycles. But if you're investing more in that, if you're worshiping more in that than you are God, that could be an idol. Maybe social media. Maybe you invest all your time on Instagram or Facebook, and that's all you do, but you barely pick up your Bible and read. Is that an idol? Is that something, an image of something, something that's taken the place of your time with God? 
And I think the last definition is probably the easiest. And it's the one I can get my brain around in my life. Excessive or blind devotion to something. Excessive or blind devotion to something. If I'm worshiping that thing, if I'm devoted to that thing more than I am God, I have to ask myself, is that an idol in my life? You see, God designed us for devotion. We are wired for worship. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, that devotion was all completely to God. When they were in the garden, their worship, their their praise was all completely to God. Sin distorted that. And now we're devoted to other things. We worship other things. We've been marred by sin. So suddenly the devotion and the worship get out of whack. We're no longer worshiping and devoted to God. We're worshiping and devoting other things of this earth. That's where idolatry comes into play. And that's where a jealous God gets upset because he is jealous for you. Let me give you a real personal example. And I've shared this before, so it shouldn't be new to you. I grew up in southeastern Michigan, Detroit area, suburb of Detroit, Motown. So I grew up and everyone in Motown had a muscle car. Everyone, even some of my friends in high school had muscle cars. And my favorite car in the world, in the world, if I ever win the lottery, will be a 1957 Chevy. Black, huge, big engine, flames on the side. That is going to be my first purchase if I ever get the lottery, because I love that. I, I, I have daydreamed about that car. I have imagined myself driving that car. And let me show you how far that has gone in my life. I have actually thought if I ever get the money and get the resources to get my 1957 Chevy, I already know what custom license plate I'm going to put on that car. I'm going to get Rev Ed. Kind of a double meaning there. Reverend Ed, but then it'll say Revved on the back. That's how much I love that car. And I've even daydreamed about driving that car from Lancaster to Chillicothe, and I promise I won't be late for for praise team practice if I had that car. That's how much I'm devoted to that. That's how much I long for it. That's how much I think about it. In fact, there's times where I'm not thinking about anything else, but all of a sudden this image comes into my mind. Now, like I said, you can have a classic car. You can have a nice car. We can have nice things, and that's okay. But I'll tell you, if I ever get this, it's going to be an idol because I worship it. I think about it all the time. And there's times where I suddenly think about this, and God reminds me, have no idols. Don't worship idols. This is an image I worship. I love the speed. I love the muscle. I love the Motown. I love everything about this car. My dad worked on the assembly line in GM, and I love GM cars. And so this is something that would be a problem. This could be something that is a problem in your life as well. Maybe it's not a 57 Chevy. Maybe it's a set of golf clubs. Maybe it's the Ohio State Buckeyes, or in my case, the Michigan Wolverines, where I'm worshiping and devoted to them more than I am the Lord. Maybe it's traveling. Maybe it's something that I absolutely love. Once again, in 
proper context, all those things are good. But if they ever become more important in your life than God, that can become an idol because you're devoted to it. You're wired for worship. And like I said, if that is something that's happened in your life, get rid of that idol. It will mar you. It will hurt you. You see, if I ever got that 57 Chevy, I wouldn't own the car. The car would own me because I love it so much. And that's something we need to ask ourselves. Is there anything in my life right here, right now, that I give more attention to than I give God? More time to, more love and devotion for? So what do our idols do to us? We know what the definition of idolatry is, but what do they do to us? Number one is they distract us. They distract us. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 2, it says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray. Say that, led astray to mute idols. You see, your idols will lead you astray. They distract you from being devoted to God and to worshiping him the way he designed you to be worshiped. And so they will distract, they will lead you astray. Also, idols will dominate you. They will dominate you. They get a foothold in your life, you enjoy them, and then all of a sudden, they take over. There's something you can't even stop thinking about them. Psalm 106, verse 36 says, they worship their idols, which led to their downfall. And can I tell you, Once again, it's nice to have nice things, but if they start to encroach and get higher in your life than God, they will lead to your downfall. Mark my words. Look at the children of Israel. All throughout the Old Testament, what was the downfall of the children of Israel? Why did they end up in exile? Because they were worshiping other gods. They were were committing idolatry. And they will, your idols will always take over. You see, idols in and of themselves have no power other than the power that you give them. And when you give them that power, that is when they dominate you and lead to your downfall. My idols will disappoint me. That's another thing. We talk about it. We sing about it. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy in this world. If you think your idol can satisfy you, you are sadly mistaken because your idols will leave you empty. They will leave you feeling completely abandoned because they have no power. Only God, the great I am, has the power to fulfill and satisfy your soul. So those idols will disappoint you. Jeremiah 10, 14 puts it very well. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith, the ones who make the idols, is shamed by his idols. They will shame you. They will lead to your downfall. They will disappoint you. And also, finally, my idols will deform me. Deform me. Um, Psalm 115, verse 4 and verse 8 says, But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have no power, just human hands. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So if you devote your life to an idol, you will become like that thing that you're devoted to. That is the case. 
And I don't want to be devoted to anything other than Christ. I want him to be the one that I'm devoted to. I think Rick Warren does a nice job of talking about idols. He says, we don't worship objects in the culture. You know, we don't have little statues of Buddha or statues of Baal or anything like that. We don't do that as much, but we do worship images. Images of success, images of status, images of sensuality. And I, once again, success, status, sensuality within marriage, all of those things are good, but if they start becoming higher than God, that's where the problem is. Whatever I worship, and mark my words, because I've seen it, whatever I worship inevitably is what I become. And my goal as a Christian is to become more like Christ. So I want to worship him first. I want to worship him alone so that I don't become like a 1957 Chevy. I don't become like the Michigan Wolverines. I don't become like all those different images that I love and appreciate in my life. I want to be like him. And so I put Christ on the throne of my life and I make sure that all those other things are below him. If they start to get above him, I've got a problem. And that is not gonna help me, it's not gonna help my family or generations to come because God needs to be first in our life. So the final question is, how do I forsake my idols? If I have an idol, my 1957 midlife crisis Chevy, if I have that idol, luckily I don't own it, so that's good, I pray that I never do own it, but how do I forsake my idols? Just a couple things. Turn my idols, turn from them. Uh, I think of Elsa in Frozen, let them go, let it go. You need to get rid of those idols. And, and have you ever heard of the word repent? Repent, it's a biblical word. And what it means, if you understand that word, is I'm walking in one direction. And if I repent, I'm actually going to turn 180 degrees from the direction I was walking, probably off of a cliff, so I'm gonna repent from that, turn 180 degrees and walk in a different direction. If you are walking towards your idol, if you're devoted to your idol and you're worshiping it, you need to stop and turn away from it, repent of it and go in the direction of the Lord. That's what we need to do. We need to turn from our idols and recognize what they are. We need to fight against my idols. We learned it from James he didn't say to ignore the devil and he will flee. He said, resist the devil and he will flee. You see, resisting requires some fight. It requires some boldness on our part. If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us, but we need to resist the devil and he will flee. And we need to fight against our idols. Many times our idols, we have a love-hate relationship with them. We love them, I love my 57 Chevy, but I hate what it does to me because I get focused on myself. I get focused on doing things with that imaginary car and I don't get focused on God. I hate what idols make us become. So we need to get real serious and fight against those idols. And the final thing is we need to worship God instead of idols. If there's one thing we can do is say, my idols have no power. I'm gonna stop worshiping them. I'm gonna stop thinking about them whenever I'm bored and all I wanna do is doodle and draw my, my, my idol down in my, my notebook. 
I'm going to stop worshiping them and I'm going to turn my attention to God and God alone. You see, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with part of your heart. No. With some of your heart. No. With most of your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That leaves no room for idols. That leaves no room for things to get above God and me to adore those things above God. And if we're going to truly love God, love people, live in this covenant of grace that we have, we got to do exactly what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not your idols, but with all your heart. And that's where we got to get to today. I want us to stand and we're just going to close with a simple prayer chorus. I'll do it a cappella, so we don't need our musicians. But it's just one of my favorites because it really tells me how I can get rid of my idols. If I love my idols more than God, that's a problem. So I need to love God more than my idols. And so we're just going to sing this song a cappella. We'll sing it twice. And just let these words be your testimony. Say, God... I'm going to love you with not some, not most, but all of my heart. And I am going to lift your name on high and worship you alone. God, you are first in my life. Let me try to lead us in this song. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, all my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet sound, in your ear. One more time. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to If I have ever put anything above you, I repent of that right now. I turn away from that idol. God, you are God, and you are God alone and Lord of all in my life. I want to love you with my whole heart, not most, not some, not a little, but all my heart. Help me whenever something starts to encroach in that area of my life that I've given to you, that highest area, that throne of my life. Help me be convicted by your Holy Spirit and say, no, I will not let that happen because God is my God 
and he is great, and he deserves first place in my life. Help us today to go out here victorious. When the Israelites were victorious, you know what they did? They burnt their idols, they tore them down, and they turned their way back to God, Yahweh. That's what we need to do as a church. Help us to love you, God, and not our idols. We thank you for what you're doing. We praise you for all the many testimonies we have heard in this service today because we know you are great and we praise you. We adore you. We're devoted to you. We're wired to worship you because you are good and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen. Go in peace, live in victory, share God's love with others. 